Hey there, friends. It's Nick, and this is episode 315 of the Story Hacker podcast. And, you know, I know you can't see me, but right now I am putting my hand up. I am literally putting my hand up because uh, I want to say that there are, out loud, there are some parts of this book, this journey we're on together, the hero's journey, reading the hero with a thousand faces by Joseph Campbell. There are some parts that I don't completely get. And as I've said before on this podcast, one of my real concerns about the world is the number of people who who know that their beliefs are right. Do you know what I mean? Those people, they know they're right. So that means they don't have to consider any other points of view. And then I guess the second, the sort of the slightly lower but still incredibly worrying part of that is the number of people who project that they are right even even when actually in in fact they're not sure so listen <laughs> I want to put my hand up and say there are parts of this that I don't completely understand and there are certainly parts that I don't completely agree with but but this section we're on now if you remember we're in the third phase of the hero's journey which is the return and um, yesterday we talked about the potential um, refusal of the of the return but today we are in the section called the magic flight. In other words, this is the start of the journey home, ladies and gentlemen. And um, here's what Campbell has to say about this journey. If the hero in his triumph wins the blessing of the goddess or the god and is then explicitly commissioned to return to the world with some elixir for the restoration of society, the final stage of his adventure is supported by all the powers of his supernatural patron. On the other hand, if the trophy has been attained against the opposition of its guardian, or if the hero's wish to return to the world has been resented by the gods or demons, then the last stage of the mythological round becomes a lively, often comical pursuit. This flight may be complicated by the marvels of magical obstruction and evasion. And I was trying to think of examples of where um, the thing that is searched for, the ultimate kind of goal, then, you know, you then have to run away from. Because I think in general, in general, most of the stories that we might know, the popular ones, after the big sort of climax, the big finale, the big fight, if you like, whether that's physical or psychological or otherwise, it tends to be quite an easy journey home because everything's all right now. Does that make sense? Um, but then I was thinking, the thing that popped into my mind, honestly, is Where Eagles Dare, where, if you may remember, um, Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton, um, they're, they're heading into um, this castle run by the uh, the Nazis, the Gestapo, to try and retrieve a, a... I think it's a major, I can't quite remember, but a British officer who knows all the details of the D-Day, the coming D-Day landings, and uh, they have to get him back. At least that's the setup for the movie. But, you know, one of the things that's fantastic about that movie is they spend, you know, half of it getting into this place. And then it's getting out, if you remember it. So if you've, if you've not seen that incredible movie, you should watch it. Um, but they spend half of it, you know, trying to escape from the same thing. So that, in a sense, I guess, is the kind of magical flight where... Um, you are you have an opposition, and um, Campbell talks about this in various ways in this chapter. Um, but I think again, the book sort of shows its age. There's one one passage that really made me laugh. He says, "The powers of the abyss are not to be challenged lightly. 
which I guess is true. In the Orient, a great point is made of the danger of undertaking the psychologically disturbing practices of yoga without competent supervision. <laughs> that, really, that really made me laugh. Um, and he talks in particular about, um, as an example, he talks about uh, Jason, the Greek hero Jason, who, as you, I'm sure you know, he, he passes through the, um, the Bosporus into the Black Sea and he's looking for the Golden Fleece. He's on a mission to get the Golden Fleece on his ship Argo. And um, he arrives at the kingdom of uh, a king, a king whose daughter immediately, the king who owns the fleece, sorry, his, but the king's daughter immediately, of course, falls in love with our hero, Jason, and effectively helps him, um, helps him with all the kind of the trials and tribulations that the king sets. King sets loads of challenges, very typical in me. Lots of challenges for Jason to kind of get through to, to get hold of the fleece. And when he finally um, gets through the challenges with the help of the king's daughter, he flees on his ship with the, with the girl in tow and, um, and actually with her brother as well. And uh, of course he's pursued by the king, the angry king. And um, the king's daughter actually, actually suggests that Jason chop up her brother and scatter him in the water because the king would have to slow down to pick up his son, his dismembered son, and then stop to bury him. And that is how Jason and um, the girl, who I'm not sure is psychologically sound, <laughs> how they escape. And I think, you know, so that's a, that's a good example of how, you know, again, when this goes so badly, I suppose, we can think of, we can think of movies um, where... I suppose in a mini sense, Aladdin is an example, you know, at the start where you you get hold of the um, the lamp, but then you have to escape the cave. I'm not sure. And then at the end of that chapter, and for me, Campbell kind of moves, he, he sort of springs this slightly, but he's talking about the, the crossover between the two worlds, which we've not reached yet. But he says, he talks about uh, Orpheus and, uh, Eurydice, who I'm sure you sure sure you know that, you know they have a love affair that doesn't work out, and um, Campbell says, in spite of the failure recorded, a possibility exists of a return of the lover with his lost love from beyond the terrible threshold. It is always some little fault, some slight yet critical symptom of human frailty, that makes impossible the open interrelationship between the worlds. So that one is tempted to believe almost that if a small marring accident could be avoided, all would be well. The myths of failure touch us with the tragedy of life, but those of success only with their own incredibility. Yet if the monomyth is to fulfil its promise, not human failure or superhuman success, but human success is what we shall have to be shown. So really I think, and this is the bit that I'm... Um, I guess I'm sort of slightly struggling to understand. He's he seems to be saying that that the chance of the relationship between these two worlds, the chance of them um, working together, that doesn't really work. And in, and in the stories where we see somehow that it does work, they have that sense of unreality about them. Um, but he's also promising in this chapter that we're going to see. Um, 
in the coming steps some practical teachings for, for humans. So we'll see what happens. But um, I await the wisdom with bated breath. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Nick. Thanks again for listening. To dig deeper, search for story.business.